This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks your dedicated star trek books and comics show here on trek fm i'm just one of your hosts dan gunther and with me as he is every week is the wonderful handsome beguiling mysterious bruce gibson well hello there how are you (laughs) i like the handsome part (laughs) I thought you might like that. You know, stroke the ego. It's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's so good that, you know, I just want to do the show now. I mean, I did before, but now I really, really want to do the show. No, because, you know, I have to tell you something. You, you know, you go to work and, and you work all day and you get tired and then you got something else maybe you have to do after work. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I have, I have to record a show tonight am i ready am i you know i just like i'm not mentally there you know what i'm talking about dan we're not mentally there (laughs) but then you come on and it all just kind of swoops you over and you love it and you love just doing this and talking star trek it's just the best and i don't like doing it just with you i like doing with other people too well, this is quite a shock. I, I had no idea. I'm betrayed. <laughs> Even though you're handsome also. I, I like doing with other people. Like, you know, you know Amy Nelson? From oh, yeah. Earl I remember Grey. her. She's great. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I love having her on the show. As a matter of fact, I think we should go ahead and beam her in. Can we do, can we do that? Did we? Oh, that is so cool. Hey, Amy, how's it going? Well, hi, guys. It is awesome to be here with you on Literary Treks. It's great having you. Yeah, it's always great having you for sure. Yeah, you're very handsome. Oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Flattery will get you everywhere. (laughs) Well, we've got a couple news items that we want to talk about uh, before we get to our feature. So let's first talk about kind of something that's making really big news in Star Trek right now. And that is, of course, that Star Trek Discovery has a release date, and that will be September 24th. But that also means that the long-awaited Star Trek Discovery tie-in novel, the first original novel in Star Trek Discovery written by David Mack, also has a release date. And that will be on September 26th. So two days after you get to watch Star Trek Discovery, you get to read about it from the wonderful author David Mack and his novel Star Trek Discovery Desperate Hours. So question for you guys, how quickly after this comes out are you guys going to be rushing to pick it up? The day of. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the right answer. Amy. <laughs> yes. The day of, I will put it on my calendar. So I have a question. So does David Mack have like inside information on the script and stuff that's going to be used on discovery. So have you read control the section 31 no. book? Okay. Well in control, there's they basically everybody's being like videoed and audio recorded and everything's going on. David's like that. David knows everything that's going on in everyone's lives right now as we speak. <laughs> so yes, David knows a lot about discovery actually. So yeah, um, he does know some information about discovery in order to write this book. I think he had mentioned at one point, I don't know if it was on the show or not, but I know that he said that this book basically uses a lot of information that's in the first two to three episodes. So he does <laughs> have some uh, insight into the first two or three scripts. He also awesome. made sure to note that he's pretty sure he's seen CBS sniper teams hanging out around his home. So don't pester him for information. He cannot tell you anything. He is definitely bound by, I'm certain, ironclad NDAs and all that sort of stuff. So unfortunately, you know, I've tried pestering him for information and it's just, it's not happening, unfortunately. Yeah, he's awesome. good at keeping it quiet, you know? That's what he's supposed to do. But you know, here's what's right. interesting about this book. So first of all, I'm surprised that we're getting it two days after the premiere because like I was mentioning, there's a lot of things in this book that refer to things going on in the first few episodes. Now, at this point, we're going to have two episodes. So the premiere mm -hmm. night, we get episode one. And then in the United States, you have to switch over to CBS All Access to get episode two. But I think on mm -hmm. space in Canada, you're getting both on that service on that same night. Is that what you've heard, Dan? Yeah, that's right. There'll be one right after the other on the Space Channel. Yeah. And one right after the other if you choose to watch the pilot on All Access as well. But if you do watch right. it on CBS proper, you'll have to switch over to All Access to catch part two. So Right. Yeah. So in, technically, we're getting this book after two episodes, which I guess kind of works out. But I really expected it. we were going to get it like a month after the premiere. So it's shocking mm -hmm. to me it's two days after. But it's you in large format paperback ebook and an underbridge audiobook but one of the facebook groups uh that talks about star trek books someone posted today in the uk that amazon took off the paperback off of their list and just shows the kindle book and oh interesting they uh this person sent a letter to amazon about it saying what happened to the paper book and as of the recording of this show which is the end of June when we're uh, recording the letter from Amazon states that, yeah, right now all they're showing is that they're just getting the ebook in the UK. So I don't know mm. if they're going to get the paperback. They're looking into it, but as of right now, it sounds like no paperback in the UK. Well, to be fair, as someone who sets up my Amazon affiliate links on my website for Amazon.com, NCA, and Co.UK, the Amazon UK store, some of their stuff, like, they just will not have a listing till the last minute, or they'll have a listing for the paperback, but not the Kindle, I seem to notice a lot, or and apparently vice versa. So hopefully that all gets sorted. I, I can't imagine they won't release the paperback in the UK as well. So yeah, I can't either. I, I would expect that it would be released as, mm. as a paperback 
everywhere. Definitely. So I have a question, and I don't want to sound ignorant, but I, I probably will. So we've got Discovery coming coming out. Is this the first time that we've had novels coming out almost simultaneously as a new series? Ooh, that mm. is a good question. I love that question. Uh, that's a great question. I, <laughs> so I was wondering, like, if if that's the case, are the books going to be more canon than, say, previous books? Yay. I love these <laughs> questions. Uh, touchy question. Touchy, touchy question. question. Yes. <laughs> well, I, Open the can of worms. So from what I'm remembering, uh, I think this is the first time we're getting an original story novel this quickly after a series premiere in the past we've received the first episode the pilot episode as a novelization so mm -hmm. uh in this case we're not getting a first episode novelization we're getting an original story so usually no this is i think this is a first for star trek to get an original story this soon after the premiere of a series yeah i think that's definitely right regarding the whole C word canon, you know, a touchy subject among Star Trek fans. The, the thing that's really cool about Star Trek Discovery is Kirsten Beyer, who's a big time Star Trek novelist, wrote amazing Star Trek Voyager books and continues to do so hopefully soon, um, is on the writing staff of Star Trek Discovery and is kind of the liaison between uh, the publishing side and the show. So there will be a lot more from what I hear close relationship between those two sides and a very kind of tighter knit uh, between those two going forward. I personally, I don't think they would say that they're canon, but I would say they would probably have more weight and more, they're more likely to follow what's on screen than we've seen in the past. So for example, the TNG novel we <laughs> reviewed last week, which Obviously, there was not a lot of very close work between the two based on the differences that we got there. So in this case, I think it will be, you know, those two sides will work a lot more closely together. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely more canon than the other books and comics were to the other series because the showrunners mm -hmm. are somewhat involved in this. So, but yeah, yeah, Dan, I agree with you. It's like, I think everybody should be careful, publishers and stuff, to say, oh, yeah, it's canon. And then somebody overwrites it in the sh series and all of a sudden it's like, wait, you didn't follow what the novel said about, you know, their eyes were green, but on the show they're blue. Ah. <laughs> so there might be more in-line story following. I think so, it's, yeah. 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 Makes, th makes sense. I'm going to assume they're directing David Mack quite a bit. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For this novel. Yeah. And then we've got the comic series coming out, too. We don't have a date yet on that, but uh, probably shortly after that, and maybe October, we'll see the comics. That's going to be exciting. That, that time there, we're just going to have a discovery overload after waiting for so long. It's going to all kind of drop at once, and we're going to go, no one's going to see us for a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I have no problems with that. <laughs> I might just call in sick and not go to work. Well, wait, my boss might be listening to this. No, of <laughs> yeah. course I would go to work. Duh, yeah, come on. That was all in jest. Bruce was, Bruce, he, he was winking the whole time he said that, I swear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the second piece we have here, of course, is we have a new comic book to talk about. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about 
TNG Broken Mirror number two. So this is the second comic in the, well, the third, if you count the free comic book day comic, I suppose, but the second in the series proper for the Mirror Broken series, which features Jean-Luc Picard and his group of officers from the Mirror Universe trying to take over the Enterprise, moving from the Stargazer and, and executing all their dastardly plots and that sort of thing. So... Bruce, what did you think of of Mirror Broken number two? I would say this one so far has been my favorite out of the three. And just because I think, you know, the free comic book one was kind of like a prequel short story. First issue was setting things up. And now I feel like we're really starting to get into the heart of the story. And I've, I've really gotten used to these characters being the mere universe characters. I mean, it's like... Picard feels like Picard, but like a badass Picard. And same with like the mm-hmm. other characters. Um, I, I, I guess we'll kind of talk about it more as we go along. But I, even the last few pages, for some reason, were fun for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the way it ended, I, I kind of thought if, if you had just told me that's how the whole story goes and ends, I would have been like, eh, I'm not really interested. But the execution here is great. I love you know, I, I don't think I'm giving anything away because it's on the cover, but Picard and Riker have this epic knockdown fight and not something I'd normally really be interested in. Just, you know, two people trying to beat the crap out of each other. But this comic made it interesting and fun and it is a wild ride. So very, very cool. Um, Amy, did you get a chance to take a look at the comic? I did. And now I'm a little saddened that I missed one of them. So I Mm. need to get on my game a little better. You guys need to clue me in a little. No. (laughs) um, Yeah, that last that last few pages. And I'm telling you that picture, the very last one with Riker. Is that not Riker? That is his essence coming through, even though he's, you know, the mirror Riker. I just that grin and that smile. And it, it is Riker. It's like, you have to go up against him. And then if, you know, Picard does and it's like, all right, I'll listen to you. What's what's your what's your game here? <laughs> yeah, that glint in his eye, you know, he's just total Riker. Absolutely. Yeah. Singular eye. I, that yeah, is yep. right. <laughs> I think that's why I really like it. it. It's really coming across to me that these characters really are the characters we know, but just different, you know, and in a different universe. It's like, I can really feel that if for some reason their universe took the same pattern ours did, that they would become the characters we know and love in the prime universe. But, you know, Riker and Picard, they're testing one another, even though they're beaten up on each other at the end, you get that same respect like they have in the prime universe. You can tell they're just like, you know, I trust, you know, I've, I've learned to respect you from this fighting, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and even the cover for the next issue Number three that's coming out looks very interesting to me. (laughs) Yeah, I found myself kind of examining that image quite a bit. That something really scary about that image. (laughs) And uh, I'm I'm not going to give everything away. You should pick this up and see that little preview. But the rainbow sweater that's famous throughout Star Trek has never looked so evil (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's my favorite part (laughs) i know i'm like is that really i i can't even see it there so Uh, no it's yeah yeah freaky stuff going on also 
a couple of things in this comic I have to say. I was surprised, you know, bringing in characters like Leia Brahms. Yeah. You know, it was really cool. Showing really great attention to Star Trek detail. And Morn makes a little appearance. I don't know if you caught that. But in the bar, the Morn, I think he's the one behind the bar. I think he owns the bar. So. Oh, my gosh. I did not pick up on that. I see that <laughs> First now. thing I saw. I was reading it all alone in a room by myself. And if you'd have been listening to me, you'd have just heard mourn. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's, that's so great about this too, is the art. I mean, we talked about this before, but the artwork mm-hmm. is just, it, it just makes it even better. It's so good. It looks, it looks great. Even though I know it takes them forever to do this. It's just, it's so worth it. Oh yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. The, yeah, I, I can't say anything more than that. The, the action scenes, the, the quieter scenes, everything just looks beautiful. It's, it's, yeah, it's a painting on every page. Yeah. JK Woodward does the shout out to you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Jordy looks a little different to me. (laughs) Like I can't quite see his personality in it. Like I do the others. Um, it's tough when you take away the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love how, of course, Troy has a big integral part in this, so that's always good. She looks a little older in this, but still the sexy mom. Yeah, well, yeah, she's kind of <laughs> had a r- rough life in the mere universe, yes, right? Yes, apparently. Mm-hmm. But that's one yeah. of my favorite scenes is when Troy is basically interviewing each crew member to yes. see who's the most loyal. It's like you get that sense of, oh, she's still a counselor in some respects, but, you know, she's the inquisitor on the on the stargazer. And so mm-hmm. she's up to yeah. no good, but it seems like she's up to good to the crew members. Like, you know, she's caring. And it's like, oh, tell me about yourself. <laughs> what do you think of things? Because I'm going to use that against you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I noticed the little hint, which I'm wondering, I'm sure it will play out in the future, but Picard's like, I know how to block you reading me. And I thought, ooh, that's going to come up, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if they're setting up a, a Troy betrayal in the future or something like that. She seems to be a force to be reckoned with, for sure. Yes. And if and I know I've brought this up before, but if you've read Diane Duane's Dark Mirror novel, uh, Troy's character in that novel is very similar to this, just this really dark character who, you know, is seems to be hiding something and is can be very vicious. That That's my mm. guess as to where they're going with this. And mm. the whole just feeling of dread over that whole scene when she's basically interrogating the crew members, but you know, seemingly benignly. Oh, that, that gave me chills more than anything else. Yeah. Because they're like, well, can I tell you things? I mean, they're talking to her like, you know, she's the counselor. Well, this is between us. Right. And oh yes, it is. Well, you know, it's not, you know? And so, yeah, (laughs) that duplicity there really shines through. Excellent. Well, I think there's probably nothing left now, but to go to our features. So what do you say we all get together on the other side of the page and talk about Q? So today we're discussing another Star Trek The Next Generation novel. And this is the first novel of a three-part series called The Q Continuum. And this book is called Q Space. Now, what's really cool and Star Trek fans out there who are in the know will really appreciate this. This is actually one of the numbered TNG novels, and it's number 47. I don't know. Did you guys catch that? I did not. 
Ah, uh, yeah, we're reading book number 47, which I think I remember when I first bought this back in the day when it was brand new. I, I was like, ooh, number 47, that's going to be cool. And I kept wondering if they'd acknowledge that, but they didn't quite go that deep. <laughs> that's interesting. No, I didn't even realize this is one of the numbered books, but it makes sense because is this is what came out, was it, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but 1999? That sounds about right. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me either. <laughs> oh, I will let you know. The one time I don't have it in front of me either. Oh, I have my notes, but I don't have the book. Oh, come That's on, bad. guys. I rely on you because I, I, wait, here we, no, here we go. Here we go. I have it. Ooh, 1998. Oh, so Ooh. close. <laughs> so close. So I did not read this book when it first came out in 98. I can tell you that. As a matter of fact, I can tell you this is the first time I've read this book. Ooh, excellent. So can you tell me what's special about the numbered books and why are some numbered and why some are not? <laughs> I love your questions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. That's a great question. Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I will tell you this. So when Pocket Books started publishing Star Trek novels uh, around 1980, shortly after the motion picture they started numbering all the original series novels. So they had, it was not sequential in the fact of the continuity of the stories. It wasn't like book two leads to book three or whatever. They just numbered them. So you could have a book that takes place in the movie, uh, movie timeline in that movie era. And that could be book number 10. And then book number 11 comes out and it has nothing to do with 10. And it takes place in the five-year mission. So it was just right. it was just a way to, you know, keep up, you know, what the numbers of the books. Then when The Next Generation came out, they started to do the same thing. And they started doing that. They did also Deep Space Nine and then also Voyager. But it got to a point that... I think their decision making to stop numbering books was because the numbers were getting so high and maybe casual readers who don't read Star Trek probably walk into a store and say, oh, this is book number 97. Does that mean I have to go back and read 100 books? So they stopped right, numbering yeah. books. So this is at a time oh, okay. where they were still just putting the numbers on the books. And there was a, there are also a few anomalies, for example, in the original series novels if they put out like a big hardcover novel it was kind of like a special novel and they didn't number those they kind of kept that separate from the numbered series so for example prime directive or the lost years you know big books like that didn't have a number and didn't really fit in with the the whole numbering scheme so you know after a few decades it's it's just kind of unwieldy like they have this huge number and 97 i think I think 97 is where they, they ended. Yeah, the I think so. Yeah, ones. it was right. They never reached a hundred in the numbering. They mm -hmm. stopped. Yeah. So, which I think it was a good decision. I agree. Yeah. It, it's, it can be daunting. I, I remember looking at novels and seeing like number 86 and it, it kind of freaks you out to begin with. So, but then when you understand that it has nothing to do with story, it's just an affectation basically. Uh, then it, you know, becomes kind of meaningless but the one great thing about it is if you're collecting the books then mm -hmm. you put them all in that order by numbers and so you can look at your bookshelf and say oh there's 30 and 32 but i don't have 31 i gotta get 31 in there you know so it was e <laughs> i think it kind of made it easier to keep track of books it's harder to do that now because there's no numbers and how do you know that you know, you'd have to find a list to see if you've got everything or not 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, when I was reading back in the day, that's I really appreciated having those numbers. And I guess I never really looked at them as them being together so that when, yeah, say 10 came out, I wasn't looking for 11, you know, I, I just, you know, I knew that they weren't related to each other. So, mm-hmm. uh, but then, yeah, I started getting, going to the library and seeing these books and I'm like, well, where's the number? Where, where's the numbers? And they just sort of disappeared on me. So good to know. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's probably a lot easier nowadays with the internet. You can just kind of look it up. Whereas back in the day, you didn't really have that. So like Bruce, you said, looking on the shelf and saying, well, I got to find number 11, you know, that makes, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, it's like when we reviewed ghost ship, which was the first next generation original novel, it's like right away with that number one on there, you're like, Oh, well this was the first one, <laughs> you know, mm. you knew right away just cause that number was there. Yeah. You don't even have to go online and look it up <laughs> even though it's so easy now, yeah. but yeah, no, that's true. Awesome. So yeah, this is number 47, but of course has nothing to do, like we say, with number 46. So this is just the first of a three-part Q continuum story, which is always fun. You know, it's fun to read about Q's shenanigans and that sort of thing. And so this, 47, 48, and 49, those do relate they to each do. other. Exactly. In this yeah. case, yes. <laughs> yes. So if you actually look at the cover and were to type out the whole title of each of the books this first one would be star trek the next generation number 47 the q continuum number one q space by greg cox (laughs) so that is quite the title (laughs) yeah so in this novel we have the enterprise and the time period we're set in is during the tng movies so it's the enterprise e with you know picard and his crew having moved over from the enterprise d at some point so this is somewhere after first contact, around insurrection, somewhere in there. And they're hosting a Betazoid scientist who is planning to conduct an experiment to breach the galactic barrier surrounding our galaxy. So readers, you might remember that from the episode Where No Man Has Gone Before and by any other name in the original series. It's that pink glowy barrier that makes it really hard to leave the galaxy for some reason. So they want to pierce that barrier to be able to explore out outside of the galaxy and Q shows up and warns them not to but they proceed anyway so Picard presses Q for a reason Q doesn't really explain why they shouldn't do this so Picard says well sawed off we're going to do it anyway and they they press forward so what did you guys think at this point in the story what did you agree with Picard's decision or you know, what What was kind of going through your head at this point? I agreed with his decision. You know, it's like every Q story is Q playing games, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, is it really unrealistic for Q to show up and say, well, Picard, I'm not really going to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. You just trust me. Just, just let me do what I want to do. Just <laughs> listen to me. Haven't you learned by now that you should just go with what I say. And of course, Picard's like, no, Q, I have nothing to do with you. Get off my ship. Go, go. You know, it's like always the same thing. So, you know, it's the same, like Picard's like, I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to listen to, I don't know what you're up to, Q. I don't trust you. So I can totally understand why he did what he did. I just got an image of Picard with a corn broom (laughs) getting, scoot, Q, get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, I um, thought the same thing too. It's like, if, 
Picard's going to do what he's going to do because the science and he's following the logic. And if Q is not going to give a rational reason, then there's no reason to trust him. I mean, it's been proved in the past. You don't trust Q. Okay, but why doesn't Q just tell him? I mean, that actually (laughs) started to annoy me because Q, there's scene after scene after scene where the Enterprise is going forward with this whole mission and Q keeps showing up and saying, why aren't you doing what I said? Why aren't you listening to me? Turn around. Stop it. Stop pushing those buttons right now. And and Picard's like, you know, tell me why. And he doesn't. It's like, just, just, I feel like Kirk right now. Just tell him, man. Just get it over with. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. Because Q likes having the power and being the all-knowing. And so you need to do it because I said so. And that should be good enough because I know everything way more than you. And I think that's always been Q's stance. That makes sense. But at the same time, couldn't he just snap his fingers and send the Enterprise to the other side of the beta quadrant? I mean, <laughs> Well, that's a good point. If he doesn't want the Enterprise there, then just get rid of them. Yeah. But I guess, you know... This is this is kind of the perennial problem when you bring Q into a story, because generally speaking, unless the story throws some sort of barrier in his way or some sort of obstacle, he's all powerful and can do anything. So, yeah, the the kind of Q's almost desperation kind of rang a little bit false to me here. But at the same time, if he was able to stop the card, I guess we wouldn't have a story. So. There we go. That is true. But <laughs> yeah. like Amy said, I mean, this is just the way Q is, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's a parent where he's like, you know, I, you know, I want you to do this. And the kid says, why? Because I told you so, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, and I'm always wanting to see if you're going to do it. I want to see if you're going to listen to me. Right. Q enjoys watching the crew of the enterprise. So he's <laughs> not like going to flick him away. <laughs> you know, he's not going to flick him away because he wants to see what they're going to do because he's always so curious with them. So flicking him away would deprive Q of this enjoyment that he gets from observing them. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and like you say, Q wants the crew of the enterprise to bow to his superior knowledge. And ultimately I think, yeah, you're right. He wants them to, just do as he says. And of course, we know Picard. And Q should know Picard. He ain't mm-hmm. going to do that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so Enterprise, of course, presses on towards the, the galactic barrier. And we get a familiar face. Familiar faces, I guess. Do they have faces? I don't know. The Calamarine shows up. <laughs> and <they're, laughs> they don't have faces, I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't think so. No. I, I, I can't use that that familiar colloquialism that we see a familiar gas show up <laughs> and the calamarine that's this this group of of gaseous creatures from the episode Deja Q they kind of that episode where Q loses his powers they show up immediately to kind of take revenge cuz you know Q doesn't just pick on humans he's he's picks on everyone so that's where we know these guys from and they come and they kind of threaten the Enterprise. And while this is going on, Q whisks Picard away, ostensibly to explain why they shouldn't breach the barrier by showing him Q's past. Kind of almost a Christmas Carol style, you know, like, come look at look at my past and, and 
learn the lessons, I guess. Which is funny because Patrick Stewart did a one-man show of A Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. But yeah, I thought the Chris, uh, thought about A Christmas Carol when I read this. It, it seems similar to that. Um, but Q, again, likes to take Picard off someplace and, and show him uh, Picard's own past, which we again kind of see this in this one scene. And then, but now we're seeing Q's past, which is very interesting to go that route because now we're really learning about Q's childhood and who would have ever known that we would get to see that moment. I'm almost surprised that Q would want to share that with Picard, Mm -hmm. you know, but I guess he has his reason as we get through this book and the other two. Yeah. Well, that brings me to kind of something that I thought that was really interesting in this book and it was that we kind of see a side of Q that we've never seen before. You kind of alluded to Q being vulnerable to Picard and, and showing this side of him that, like you say, it seems odd that Q would expose himself to that sort of scrutiny in that way. So, I mean, we have seen Q vulnerable before and notably when he lost his powers in Deja Q, as I mentioned. And we've seen him naked too. That's vulnerable. (laughs) That's true. He's exposed himself in a different way as well, I suppose. (laughs) Without a trench coat, okay? (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, So, but yeah, most of the time in stories, we're used to Q kind of holding this sort of Damocles over the crew of the Enterprise and having this great power over them. But in this case, you know, he, he makes himself very, very vulnerable to Picard. And especially like you said, revealing what his life was like as a young Q and his kind of naivete and and inexperience in dealing with the universe. So how did we, what did we think of how Q was portrayed as a younger character? What did you think of kind of that side of Q? I think he was, I think what Greg Cox was going for is showing that Q has always been pushing the boundaries and, and pushing the edge with everything including the Q continuum. And so we see that here we have, in my mind, we have this lovely Q continuum where everyone's doing what they should be and, you know, the social norms, following social norms and doing what Qs do. And then we have Q and he's out and about causing ruckus everywhere and that he's been doing it all along and that he sort of seems to be the extreme of what is portrayed for the Q continuum. Yeah, I agree. It's, I, I, I guess I liked the way he was portrayed. I, I, he didn't come across in a bad way as a, as a child. Um, he, he just, just more curious, yeah. more inquisitive and more pushing the yeah, envelope. Experimenting mm-hmm. and trying to find his place and, and figuring out where he belongs and, and what he should be doing and what his powers really mean and, and what what is his place in the universe and what is he gonna do for the next several billion years? <laughs> you know, that's a lot mm-hmm. of time to figure some things out. Um, but I don't know, Dan, did, did it work for you or did it not work for you with Q as a young lad? Well, I, I thought it was really interesting and, and I think Q himself would argue with me really hard on this point, but I felt like it really humanized the character of Q because you, you 
think of him and, and he portrays himself as this all-knowing, omnipotent being. And just the idea that he even had a childhood where, you know, he could make mistakes and kind of, we know he's ignorant and <laughs> that sort of thing, but, you know, just the kind of naivete that he he displayed as a youth and potentially falling in with the wrong crowd, possibly, that we see maybe starting to happen here and being influenced by people smarter than him. I don't, I don't know if that's the correct word, but more, more, um, world, more worldly than him. Yeah. I don't know. And taking advantage. <laughs> experience. Yeah. More yeah, experience. experienced and able to manipulate him, yeah. which was really interesting. Uh, so yeah, I felt it really added some facets to Q that, you know, if you really sit down and think about the character, you, yeah, they'd, they'd have to be there, that kind of foundation. But to actually kind of see that I thought was really interesting and kind of go through him making those mistakes or, you know, it, it really, it made me think of disaffected youth or people who push against the boundaries in our own society and, and in my own life and, and people I know and things that I may, may have done in the past and that sort of thing is really interesting take on the character for sure. Well, what did you think about, because we see Q fall in love with Q mm -hmm. and, and, and how that interplay worked, you know, because he takes Picard and they see the first little date that they have and stuff like that. And I, I sort of got the feeling that there's something special about Q and Q's relationship. And, and then they have this child. It, it seemed like there was something unique about that, that I hope will be explained more in the other books. Did you get that impression? Yeah, there's definitely like, I, I, again, it, it's something that, it feels like maybe it's different for the Q, maybe it's unique for the Q, but at the same time, it also felt very familiar in a human sense, if that makes sense. Right. And so I see that, but I'm like, I, we know so little about the Q continuum. So the fact that there's even a young Q is sort of weird because mm -hmm. they live forever. So what is young? You know, I mean, it's, it's pointless, but that there was a young Q and that there was this, and so do we imagine, do you imagine that in the Q continuum, there's a bunch of baby Qs? <laughs> Have you thought of that? <laughs> well, they, they do say that like the, the little Q in Voyager <laughs> and, and the way they, they distinguish it in the text. I, and I think Voyager scripts is, is amusing. Lowercase. All the all, adult Qs are uppercase Qs and, and the baby Q is lowercase Q. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, I think in Voyager and correct me if I'm wrong, they do say that it's the first child born in the continuum. And they I don't say know that if they in the book ever, for billions of years or something like, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. And so that adds this level of uniqueness and specialness that we are experiencing with big Q, big Q and little Q. And so how <laughs> is that going to play? You know, what, what makes like, why is there not been little Q's, until now. Right. Cause mm -hmm. like wasn't, what? wasn't Q a little Q when we're, I mean, we're seeing his past. Is he not a baby born within the continuum? I yeah. never got that. I, I thought it, he was just a big Q younger in my mind when I read it. Mm -hmm. Kind of almost like a young adult or adolescent. Well, yeah, I didn't picture him as what a I baby. Imagined. So do you think he was 
when the universe formed, Q was just part of that. He wasn't necessarily born within the continuum. The continuum, he was just, he became the continuum when the universe formed. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, he's just there. He's not necessarily a baby or a child. He's just new. And so he's just figuring things out, but he's not born within the continuum. Mm -hmm. He is the start of the continuum. I guess what I'm trying to say is the start of the continuum is, is the adolescent. And now that the continuum continuum has continued on for billions of years, now there's something being born within it, which never happened before. Yeah, that makes it's kind of one of those topics in Star Trek that once you really start to think about it, it 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 hurts and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Um, yeah. I would almost take this opportunity to like go off on a tangent here and and kind of my my personal theory is to where the cue came from, which is kind of crazy, but so this this just a little tangent here. There's a lot of people that think that the Bajoran prophets are actually uh, evolved Bajorans. So the Bajorans eventually evolve into this creature and they become the prophets because the prophets say we are of Bajor. So, you know, there's that, Ooh, maybe they're evolved prophets. And I always took that and wondered if humanity eventually evolves into the Q and then exists at all points in time after that, like, like the prophets do, because Q takes such this weird interest in humanity and almost seems like he's shepherding them, especially in all good things and stuff like that. But anyway, that's kind of neither here nor there, but I just, that's, that's something that's always been in the back of my mind. That's very interesting. (laughs) I never thought of that. That's an interesting take on the Q. I feel like, you know, something, Dan. (laughs) I really don't. I really don't. I just like, Ooh, wouldn't that be cool? But yeah. Dan is closer to becoming a Q than we are, obviously. Oh man, you're so arrogant. I couldn't possibly, I'd be, I'd be the worst Q. I'd be a Canadian Q. I'd be like, snap, flash. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so funny. (laughs) One day you'll evolve into an arrogant Q. It's just, it's just a matter of time. In a billion years, you'll be there. Uh, Well, if I could half... If, if I could have half the charisma of John Delancey, I'd actually take that. That'd go. be pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't buy the love, though, that much between the two cues. Like, it just... Really? It just doesn't... I don't know. It just doesn't really feel that, like, great of a relationship to me. I don't know. I just didn't connect, like, they're in love. I mean, I, I assume they are, but it just didn't feel that way to me. I mean, I guess maybe yeah, they, it did. They're pretty snarky with each other. <laughs> they're, they're snarky with each other, so maybe that they maybe they are in love. I don't know. I also watched <laughs> the Q and the Gray on uh, Voyager, and I, that didn't really quite work for me there. So maybe that's why that's that's that the episode's kind of sticking in my head as I read the book. So one thing I do have to say, this book has going for it is as you're reading it, you've got John Delancey's voice in your head as Q, which I think Greg Cox captures perfectly. But you've also got Susie Plaxon's voice in your head as the female Q, which is just wonderful. I love her. She's so great. Agreed. So with this particular book, like we said, it's book one of three. So we get this kind of cliffhanger ending. And part of me, like I have a bit of a tough time doing a a thorough review of this book because it is just part one of three and we get that kind of cliffhanger-y ending. So... Like, obviously, 
I, sh I shouldn't really chime in a lot in this one because I've read, you know, books two and three multiple times now. <laughs> oh, you're cheating into this. We're new I to am. this. Yeah. <laughs> so I read these books when they first came out way back, uh, way back when. And then I read them, I think in 2015, I reviewed them on my book review website. And then now I've reread book one for this podcast. So I've really read this book uh, and I, and I know what happens going forward, but I was wondering for you guys, have you guys read books two or three yet? Oh, no. yes, you did, Amy. I know you've read two. Oh, okay. So no, <laughs> I was, you know, back and forth with Bruce while I was on vacation and I finally got to the end and I'm like, I can't stop. I have to keep on reading. And he's like, no, don't do it. You're going to get them all mishmashed together. So I did read the first three chapters and then decided, you know what? I am going to get them mixed up. So I did stop <laughs> reading. So the cliffhanger, I'm on suspense on pins and needles right now. Oh, excellent. Oh, uh, so okay, that tells so me the first three chapters of book two do not answer what happens in the cliffhanger. That is very okay. true. Well, the first Spoiler three chapters alert. the first three chapters are just Majel Barrett going, last time on Star Trek The yeah. Next Generation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I was wondering if you guys have kind of any speculation for where the story is going to go next. So you know, we know there's some sort of menace that's lurking beyond the barrier. It seems that this barrier was built not to keep us in, but maybe to keep something out. And, uh, you know, what do you guys think of that? What do you think of Zero or Not? Is is that how we say his name? I can't remember. They did mention in the book. No, Nil. Nil, that was it. Or Null but or Nil or, yeah. Nil. And yeah, okay. no, I, in my head as a math teacher, it's zero. Yeah. Every time I read it, I, I remember them saying, oh, it's, you know, nil. But yeah, in my head, as I read it, it was zero every time. Um, yeah. And it, at first I was like, oh, because you're going with the alphabet with Q. And so then I was like, oh, but that's not an O, that's a zero. So then it was zero in my mind because they didn't say nil until almost the very end. And by then it was already in my head a zero. So he's zero in my mind. I had to look for a capital um, O to compare to see if the typeface was the same. <laughs> and then I realized, okay, yeah, it's not an O, it's a zero. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so just so that I'm clear, those, so the ones that like chapter three, chapter four, and then what would it have a little, what is it called? Oh, interlude. Like interlude. Yes. Interlude. Oh, yeah, yeah. So those interludes and the weird speech and stuff, I'm assuming that that's zero. Yes. That's what mm -hmm. I assume too. Wait, I don't know okay. now because Dan's got this look. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, darn it. <laughs> so those interludes I'm now assigning to zero. And yeah, definitely there's something and Q and his relationship. Uh, I think Q is going to learn a lot because zero is completely manipulating him. And mm. so what's the name of the next book? Q Q-Zone. Q-Zone. Yeah. Zone, yes. So um, at the end, I did sort of have this, I don't know, maybe realization, but I was like, because the whole time I'm like, why is this called Q-Space? I don't get it. Q-Space, what does that mean? And so by the end, you've got, again, going back to this 
galactic barrier, that here is where the Q space is. And um, the book is, is talking about Q's life. And so we are basically living in Q's, his space. But now when zero comes into the continuum, now he's entered in the zone into the Q continuum. And so now that's going to be the zone of where the next book is. That's my hypothesis. Hmm. I always thought, you know, because you've got your T zone or something like that. Is is the Q zone kind of the outside and then a little stick off the end? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show that in an audio medium, I just indicated the T zone of my face and all that stuff. Yes. So. Now, apologies to everyone who's just listening, which is, you know, everyone but the three everyone. of us. <laughs> it, awesome. It's a, so, yeah, Bruce, what do you think is kind of going on here? You know, uh, gosh, I read so much, I watch so much, and sometimes I get confused where certain things were. But didn't when we did Q Squared last month, wasn't that in the story where Q actually was part of the galactic barrier at one point? Wasn't that in that story? Mm -hmm. And he yep. infused himself into Gary Mitchell, like trying to get out and get human form or, or whatever. There was a connection there. It was in that book that Q was like sent back in the past or whatever and locked into the uh, galactic barrier. Mm -hmm. So Amy's not remembering that I can tell. Yeah. I remember <laughs> him going into that person that you just yeah, said Gary. yeah but i don't remember the connection with the barrier actually i mean there wasn't so. a lot to it i think it was just one quick scene uh or it was it was mentioned in a chapter but when i was reading mm -hmm. this book i kept wondering and i'm sure it's coincidence but then i was like so what i like to do is like when i read different books or whatever even though they have maybe nothing to do with each other and they weren't trying to play off each other sometimes they seem like they could. So it's like, I kept thinking, okay, if Q at one point through Q squared was part of the galactic barrier, and now we're at this point and he's afraid of the galactic barrier and don't go in, maybe he's been there and he's had a connection with nil or zero who's in this galactic barrier and he knows the danger there because maybe, just maybe, nil is Q. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yes, I can see that. And I was thinking, yeah, is this zero a Q type of person? I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I like that. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Dan knows yeah, the that, answer. That... That's what's driving me crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, that, that whole thing with Q squared, I, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Q squared, when I reread this trilogy back in 2015, I kept reading it and, and expecting that bit with Q That's becoming right. part of the barrier and Gary Mitchell. And it, I read all three books and it never came up. And I was like, where was that from? And yeah, it's so easy to get these books kind of get the wires crossed with them a little bit. So yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities, and it, it's really interesting. I'd kind of forgotten that both of them used the galactic barrier at some point in their stories. So, so. Q squared came out in 94, and this book came out in 98, mm -hmm. so it could be referring to that, to the original Q squared novel by Peter David. Because Greg be. Cox does stuff like that, you know? He will refer to certain books. That's true. That's true. Even though Dan knows the answer. 
<laughs> I'm not. I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> yeah, and it's very frustrating. <laughs> ah, you'll 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 read soon enough. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Bruce, I noticed here in the outline you you've got a few points you wanted to mention, and actually, this first one you mentioned, I totally noticed that too. The the star date in this novel, and again, we're obsessive Trekkies. This is what we do. The story takes place on Stardate 500146.2. That's too many digits. That's so many years in the future. That doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't follow the pattern, and and I'm throwing the book across the room. I, no, not really. Okay, so here's the thing. I think it's just that somehow they accidentally typed one too many zeros, and it should be 50146.2, unless Nil inserted himself into the Stardate. Exactly. That, that was like, my gasp. That, the precursor <laughs> that maybe this is, you know, zero, Neil. Ooh, he shows up earlier in the book than we realized. Dan knows. Oh, that's amazing. Dan knows the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just a typo. But good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Can I just say something about the Calamarine? There's th- two things I want to say about Calamarine. It makes you think of that song from Thank Space you. Nine? I keep thinking Calamarine, <laughs> count to four, Calamarine, then three more, Calamarine, if you can see, Calamarine, you'll come with me. Yep. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Amy, do you know what we're talking about? <laughs> Not one note of that do I know. <sighs> well, it's probably best you don't. <laughs> it's considered <laughs> by most people, uh, the, it's, it's a song that, is is done in a deep space nine episode called move along home i think it's from the first season and most people consider that the worst episode of deep space nine if not the worst episode of any star trek i actually really like it (laughs) i don't mind it i watched it like a few months ago and i was just like i mean i I didn't think it was that bad anyway (laughs) we're off on a tangent so you know what else um I liked, and I, I had to text Amy this the other day. This was my favorite line in the novel. I don't know why, but Q says to Riker, oh, do sit down, Riker. You're not impressing anyone with your manly posing, except maybe the counselor, that is, and even she can see right through you. <laughs> that just, I don't know. I just, because, I, you know, we always talk about, you know, Riker and his leg up on things and all his posing and, and all this stuff. And I think even the book we were talking about last week, I forgot to mention, they mentioned something about him leaning on Picard's desk. It's like, he's always got these poses. And I just love that, you know, Q calls him out on it and says, you know, and even the counselor's not impressed. He, she sees right through you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a perfect example of, where the author, I think, gets Q's voice just pitch perfect. Like, you can't read that line without hearing John Delancey's voice. Like, it's so, do sit down, Riker. Like, that's so Q. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have another scene where Jordy says to Reg Barkley about Mr. DeCandido in Transporter Room 5 said you wanted this immediately. Now, I had to point that one out because Mr. DeCandido, DeCandido is the last name of Keith R.A. DeCandido, who's written many, many, many Star Trek books. And so I'm sure that's where that came from. It's a shout out to him. I I love that in novels when they do that. So like in the Kirk novels, we had those beasts of burden, the Ordovers, (laughs) and we got Mr. DeCandido here. And I I love picking those things out. That's really cool. (laughs) Yes. And I also like uh, Picard pointing out 
uh, that Cisco punches Q. Like, you know, I was like, you know, that seemed to work. Maybe I should punch you too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And speaking, we mentioned Susie Plaxon earlier. I loved this. And, and I caught that line too, where Riker thinking that the female Q looked almost as imposing as a Klingon woman. So Susie Plaxon, of course, probably her most famous role in Star Trek is as Kalar on The Next Generation. So, you know, and she, of course, played the female Q when we saw her in Voyager. So just tying those two together in a little bit of a wink and a nod at the readers who get that. That's I, I, I love stuff love like that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. That's when you know you're real Trekkie, when you start, like, picking up on these things, <laughs> you know? It's like... And you really don't know whether to be, to be, whether to be proud or embarrassed. <laughs> no, it's awesome. That's so cool. Oh. Well, kudos to Bruce. Bruce picked up on that as well, of course, because you put that in the, in the outline here. So good, good catch on that one. That's, that, that, those are deep references for Star Trek fans. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good oh, stuff. I wanted to, since we're talking about the female Q, um, when she's in, I'm assuming the, um, medical with Dr. Beverly Crusher and Troy's there and the Q is, the female Q is like sort of complaining and just like how to, how to be a mother of, you know, little Q and she just sort of dismisses uh, Troy and Crusher's like, you have no idea. You're just mortals. You're just human. And they come out, both Crusher and Troy, and just prove her wrong and say, don't mess with us. And Crusher's like, well, my son is, you know, he's with the Traveler and, you know, continues to explain what Wesley has accomplished. And then Troy says, well, my son uh, is also incorporeal, you know that word? Corporeal, yeah. Non-corporeal. Non-corporeal being, you know, and talking about Ian from the child. And and so, you know, there's the female Q going, huh. And she sort of gains a little bit more respect for these two women who have uh, amazing children. So I, I really enjoyed I that love that scene. Book. And I, I never really mm-hmm. stopped and thought about how these two women had children that are above normal. <laughs> type, Serious, you know? right? <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, Nurse Ogawa was walking by and going like, oh, my, my kid gets A's. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. And, and that's true. When that scene came up, I was like, yeah, I never thought of that. That's that's kind of neat. You know, how many yeah. I wonder how many times if we kind of took a tally characters in Star Trek evolve to a higher plane of existence or turn into a little ball of energy and fly away or something. <laughs> or how many characters in Star Trek died and came back to life at some point, mm, whether yeah. it's on screen or in the novels. I think everybody has at some <laughs> point. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Well, uh, I guess all that kind of remains is to talk about our final thoughts about Q-Space and give our ratings. Uh, Bruce, what did you think of Q-Space? So I liked Q-Space, but I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Because, Dan, you, you gave me some you know indication that you really like these books, 
And it's not that I didn't like the book. I was just expecting it to like it a little more than I did. But I think that's only because this is part one of part three of three books. So I'm sure I'm going to get even more into it. But I really did enjoy it. And uh, yeah, the characters are spot on. You can just hear the actors who play them on the show. You can hear them in your head. Um, and yeah, all the little things that we're just talking about. So I would say I would give this book. I would add a couple more zeros to the star date and just beef up that number <laughs> a little more. <laughs> Excellent. Amy, what, how about you? What did you think of Q space after? So I obviously started with Q squared cause we, you know, pre, we talked about that last time I was on your amazing show. And so reading Q space, um, and I was texting Bruce and I'm like, gosh, it's just not as exciting. I'm a little bored, you know, especially coming off from Q squared. That's just amazing. Go, go, go. And I was just flipping pages after page. Thought I do. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> and just, you know, going through that book. And so then I get to Q space and I'm like, oh, it just seems like the story was dragging. And I was telling Bruce, I'm like, just not really getting into it. Um, and, and in part because it, I felt like, and I recognize, yeah, there's three books. So they're spreading it out, taking the time with the story, which is good in and of itself. And so I shouldn't have come into that with the expectation of having it be so quickly paced as Q squared. Um, so once I got to, you know, sort of the, last quarter of the book it was definitely going and you got the separation where you know where Picard is taken away that you've got your a plot and your b plot and stuff like that and so then you're getting used to the story and by then the pacing of it so I am very looking forward to reading the next book and so for that Q space needs to have its kudos for that so I am going to uh give this book I was going to say Q cubed. How about that? <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> that's excellent. Um, yeah, that's one thing is Q squared is a really tough act to follow. That book, I, I mean, you know, just go listen to that episode for how much I gushed about how much I love that book. And I really do enjoy this trilogy. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we get into books two and three and, you know, Sorry to have to tell you guys this early on, but I think it could have been two books. I think <laughs> three books may be a bit much for it. But that said, I, I really enjoy this story. I think Greg Cox has the, the character's voices down pat. We talked about John Delancey coming through in the pages as Q, but not just him, but the regular crew as well really comes across very clearly through this book. It's a tough book to rate because it is a part one and it feels like an incomplete story that said uh I, I really do enjoy it and so i would have to give this four different characters played by Susie plaxon quiet everyone because we're done with the feature i want to start this by with a, a word that began with q so that's why i said quiet so we don't really need to stay quiet but I really did enjoy talking about that book and especially with Amy here because she's like our Q expert now on the show because every time we do a book about Q, she's on. 
I am so glad. And yes, I think I'm going to have my fill of Q books for a while. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Dan's got a Q tip for you. wait let me clean my ears and listen carefully not that kind of tip oh his q-tip is to keep reading q books going on to q zone number 48 absolutely so yeah everyone out there pick up q zone tng number 48 we'll be discussing that one soon but quality quintessential Q stories are not the only things we've been talking about on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. McCoy eventually gets command of the Enterprise. And one of the reasons for this is that he makes little comments to Kirk occasionally about how he has a cushy job. You know, he's got, oh, this nice, comfortable chair he can sit in. Because McCoy at this point... He's got a lot of people getting sick on the Enterprise. There's colds, there's broken legs or whatever. I mean, there's just, for some reason, sick bay is busy. The 602 Club. There's a certain aspect to what's happening with superhero stories where they really sort of want the villains to be more complex and you, they want you to sometimes sympathize with them and have their um, personas be you know, deeper, richer, you know, perhaps not so pure evil. The ready room. Yeah, I think it's almost like a journal or a diary entry, a verbal diary <laughs> reflection in the middle of the episode yep. when he's reflecting on society. And it's the thing that I love about it, it's all very socially aware and well-written. It's really well done. But Spock's, <laughs> Spock's verbal um, description of everything going on struck, you know, struck me this time. This would be like if... In the next generation, you hear Captain's Log, First Officer William Riker, <laughs> recording for Captain Picard, who's currently on holiday. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. Perhaps even that's the Q Continuum and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if your Q is an Apple user... Be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. And if you're not an Apple user, well, we've got you covered as well. Just as much as Q would have your best interest at heart. You can find our shows on Google Play, Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week and you're a Q, please snap your fingers and make that happen. But if you are not a Q, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all of the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, omnipotence, total control over space and time, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. Some of those are not actually available. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Wow, I'm so impressed with you, Dan, with all the cues. <laughs> I might be out of them now. <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of pushing in here. That is just so cute. <laughs> I put a Q in cute. It just doesn't really work. But anyway, you know what? I, I, uh, we've got some feedback. 
and I don't mean like audio feedback. It's not like I have ringing in my ears. This is like listener feedback where they send us emails. So, okay, we've got one here. This is from Rebecca. I'll do Rebecca. She's what? She's amazing. She's great, great listener. Oh, okay. Well, amazing Rebecca sent us an email. And Dan, I'll let you read an email from Dan just because you guys have the same names. And it'll be like Q&Q where we get all confused, which was the Q we're talking about, which is the Dan we're talking about. So amazing (laughs) Rebecca says, I am new to the Trek literary verse and have only read a few books out of sequence. What books do you recommend for readers interested in the next generation post-Nemesis era? I admit that David Mack's Star Trek Control and Dayton Ward's follow-up books are disturbing. <laughs> but that, I just think she means that in a good way. But we should expect <laughs> this as the franchise matures. Picard will always be my favorite captain, and this isn't the first time captains have made decisions fans may not like. Just think of Cisco lying to the Romulans or Kirk giving weapons to alien worlds. I'd like to learn more about the process of Picard becoming an ambassador to Vulcan. I hope that Picard does not lose his command. Well, first of all, that last part, I will say, we don't know for sure if Picard will become an ambassador to Vulcan in the books. He has in the comics but they don't necessarily always sync up. So we may see something different play out in the novels. He may not lose command and become an ambassador like he does, like he is in the comics, but you never know. Maybe they will go that direction. So I'm very curious myself to see what's going to happen with Picard as we go forward with the novels. As the question to the recommendations after post-Nemesis, that era, that's a very common question actually i hear that quite often so i don't even we've never really talked about this on the show so here's my thought and dan i think you should weigh in on this too so (laughs) i some of the post nemesis books in the tng title are you have like death and winter resistance q and q and a another q book right q and a those three books i have never read i have them but i never read them I then hit the fourth book after post-nemesis in Next Generation is Before Dishonor. That one I read had no problems. I wasn't lost because I hadn't read the three books. I feel like Before Dishonor is a good start to get into the continuity if you don't want to go through everything. And then goes to Mm -hmm. Greater Than the Sum, which then leads to Destiny. And I think Destiny is it's a three book series. I think that's a must read. If anything, it's a must read. But I do I do feel like the two books I mentioned kind of help set things up to get you prepared for Destiny. Then after that, I think you can go either way with losing the piece. A singular Destiny, I think if you ever read Articles of the Federation and you and you really if you like that book, then A Singular Destiny is a great follow-up to that. I would definitely recommend that if you like Articles of Federation. But then Destiny, as I mentioned, but then there's the Typhon Pack books, and then we have The Fall. I think those are must-reads, too. So if you're not going to read everything post-Nemesis, I would definitely say go for the the big book series, um, like mini-series that they're doing with Destiny, Typhon Pack, and The Fall. Yeah, definitely. I don't have a lot I can add to that. That's definitely a good idea. Those big kind of event series are are. are really good places to jump on or you know if you don't want to read everything like Bruce says you know you don't have to get every book in between but 
you know, at the same time, there are some really great stories in there. I would urge you, if you have the time to really do a deep dive into the post nemesis world. Um, I notice Matt rushing sent you a message as well, Rebecca, with a link to a website that is a really good list of post nemesis reading. And I'll get Matthew to put that in the show notes too, for when this episode goes out. So re- uh, listeners can check that out. Uh, it's Star Trek litverse.yolasite.com, and he's got a post nemesis reading list on there. And it's a really great way to kind of go through a checklist and, and hit those books that, you know, are really take place after nemesis. And, and it's, it's got everything. So you can pick and choose in there, but if you want the whole story, every little piece of it, it's got every book in there that takes place post nemesis. So definitely check that out. Yeah, I definitely recommend that site. Uh, I, I, I use that all the time, or I just like looking at the chart that they put together. It's very fascinating how all the different novels connect. So that that's mm-hmm. definitely a great resource. So Dan, what does Dan have to say? <laughs> well, we got a message to the show from another Dan. I actually, I thought I was the only Dan in the world, but apparently there's another one out there. So, you know, I, I hope to be able to meet him. Someday. We'll get used to it because when you become Q, there's other Q. Oh man, now I get it. Now I get how confusing that is. Well, Dan says, I read way too much Star Trek. There's there's no such thing, Dan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You're saying this to the <laughs> wrong people. <laughs> I, I'm confused. I, I, I totally don't understand the premise of your message, but I'll continue. But to help keep everything straight, I often refer to the Voyages of the Imagination reference book, which I think is great. But it's time for Volume 2. Do you know if there are any plans to do a Volume 2? Voyages of the Imagination is a great reference book for sure. Back from the days where we we had all these great reference books. You know, we've gotten a recent redo of the Encyclopedia. But other than that, you know, we don't have the chronology from the back in the day. And the Voyages of the Imagination book for the novels was really, really great. But of course, it is really far out of date. There's been tons of novels published since then and as far as i know there are no current plans to do a volume two which is kind of unfortunate but at the same time we do live in the age where a lot of this is able to be found online uh that website i mentioned with the last right with with rebecca's email is a really good way to keep track of the books now it doesn't go into as much depth as voyages of the imagination i think the best part of that book were were the interviews with the various authors and the kind of behind the scenes stuff. And unfortunately there's not as much of that, but that is one thing that we kind of do in audio form here on literary treks. So, (laughs) you know, there's kind of, you know, we're missing that, but we've got some other things going on. I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that's missing. I think I would love to see a volume two, but unfortunately, as far as I know, there's no current plans to update that book. Yeah, I don't think there are current plans, but uh, I'm actually surprised it's only been 11 years ago. Uh, that book feels older mm-hmm. to me, but I just looked it up. It came out in 2006, and I do love that uh, that book. So I would say, you know, just write into Simon Schuster and, like, request it, <laughs> you know, volume two or an yeah. update, and let's show interest because I would definitely – buy that and and maybe maybe it'll be like the encyclopedia that the akutas did and we it's like a, a two book ser- you know hard covers next to to each other like they've gotten so big and heavy because i got my encyclopedia sitting over here and it just it holds the house down they're so heavy 
<laughs> That's a load-bearing encyclopedia, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I still, I mean, seriously, I, I just went through the encyclopedias the other day looking at something. And, you know, a lot of things are online, but I, to this day, I still will put out these uh, new encyclopedias to look something up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're so much fun. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. It's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L, Babel, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks. That will come right to us, just like it did for Dan and Rebecca, the amazing Rebecca. And you can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can also find us on our Goodreads group, where we have bookshelves with all of our previous previously covered books, as well as our currently reading section, so you know what is coming up for future shows. You don't have to be an omnipotent cue to find that out. We've got it all there on Goodreads. There are also great conversations happening about the books and comics, and this cue joke's getting really old, so I'm going to stop doing that. Just just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group, and we'll let you right in. We'd also like to thank Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shemutala for their support of the Trek FM network, and of course for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Now, Amy... When you're not taking Captain Picard on a whirlwind tour of your youth and showing where it all went wrong, where can we find you? Well, you can find me co-hosting Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, tweeting all the fun things that I'm doing Star Trek wise. And but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. So you can find me there. Excellent. <laughs> oh, am I supposed to... Bruce, where can people find you? <laughs> Perfect. You can do that, sure. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's a little underline, Admiral underline Rex, like that. And then you can also find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast at StarWarsReport.com. And you can also find me in the Babel Conference, just like Amy is. And I bet Dan's there, too. So, Dan, when you're not in the Babel Conference, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on YouTube, talking about Star Trek at youtube.com slash Productions. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats, on Instagram at Kurtrats47, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Productions. And pretty much anywhere on the internet they're talking about Star Trek, I will probably poke my head in and give my two cents. So thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.